So let's jump into the Word. John chapter 9, we're going to be continuing in the current series of the Gospel of John. So John chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And, and we're going to do something a little bit different today. And I know elders always get a little bit nervous when they hear that from, you know, right before somebody's about to preach. We're going to do something a little bit different. Um, in, in our home church, it's called All Nations Church, um, we have, it's, it's our family. It's our family and other families that, that sit around, so it's young and old. There's some people that come in that have never heard any stories of Jesus. Um, so we always just want to make sure, hey, when we get into Scripture, let's really, we do something that we call Discovery Bible Study. So we're getting into this Word, and we're engaging Scripture together um, with our entire being. So this morning, I know it's a little bit different, a group of 12 to 15 people versus a group of however many people are in this room and people that are listening, um, you know, virtually and people that are downstairs. So, so I know that there's, there's a lot more people. So being interactive and engaging is, is a little bit tougher in, in a room this size. So what we're going to do, though, we're going to do a little thing um, that we call head, heart, and hands. So I know as we read the story, here's my encouragement. Do not allow ourselves to fall in the temptation to read this as just another Jesus healing. Like, oh yeah, Jesus healed a blind man. That's great, right? We read that all the time, and then just let's move on to the next healing that Jesus is going to do or the next thing that he's going to do. Um, as we read this, let's allow ourselves, let's allow ourselves to just be in awe of Jesus. Like Jesus, church, Jesus is amazing. Those songs that we were singing this morning just got my heart flying. Like, yes, Jesus is incredible. And we need to know that. Not just know it in our heads, but we need to know it in our hearts and we need to live it out. So what we're going to do is we're going to seek together to engage scripture with our heads. So that's intellectually we, it's good to know, like, all right, what's the context? Who are the characters? What's really happening in this story? It's good to wrap our heads around. There's a reason that God has the Bible in written form, his heart in written form. He wants us to engage him with the minds that he's given to us. But we shouldn't stop there. We should never stop there. We should engage Scripture, these, this passage, with our heart, spiritually. What's, what's the Spirit of God saying to us as we read this, as, as we ponder this? What's the Spirit of God saying, saying to us emotionally? What are the emotions of the people in the story? What are emotions? It's good to be emotional. You've seen emotion already up here on this stage. It's good. God built us to be emotional creatures. So it's good to engage Scripture emotionally. And then with our hands, obediently. We should never, church, we should never walk away from God's Word the same way we came to it. Never. God's Word is living and active and God's Word can change us. Last week, Kenny was talking about God's Word actually reads us, right? As we read God's Word, it, it's, we should be engaging with it in such a way that we're learning from it and we're seeking to be changed. What's the Spirit of God saying? So let's engage it with our heads, with our hearts, and with our hands this morning. So Father, we just ask right now that you help us to do this. God, we know that you are always, always, always at work. You're continually doing things. You're, you're continually working in our hearts, and you're continually working in this world. So, Father, I pray that right now, as we see this incredible story of Jesus and who he is, um, that, that we will not just read this as words on a page, but we will see Jesus and be in awe of Jesus for who he is. And Holy Spirit, will you illuminate? Will you show us how do we live this out? What should we take from this, and how can we be obedient in living this out um, individually and together as a community 
of believers, both here in this room, downstairs, and people that are listening virtually. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. So church, let's look at this. This is an incredible story. So let's, let's engage this first with our head. What's going on here? We're going to actually break down the characters one by one, all the different people, all the different players in, in this story. So, so what are the characters? We're going to talk a little bit about context here. So first, we, we see, let's first look um, at the disciples. So Jesus is saying he's passed by, he sees this blind man, and then the disciples, the disciples are always, they're always inquisitive. In, in church, I want, really want us to engage. I'm sharing kind of some of the things that are popping out to me that I'm seeing, but all of us individually, we should be looking and thinking through what are things in here that my head should be wrapping around, right? So let's, let's be doing that. Here's some, some things that I saw. The disciples, they're inquisitive. They're kind of asking questions. There's moments where you kind of wish you were just sitting there and you were watching this engagement happen. As Jesus comes in, strolling with, with all of his boys, and they're, they're walking through, and they pass by, they see this blind man, and his disciples have a discussion. And who knows, maybe they're having a discussion, maybe they're, they're seeing, oh, Jesus looks over at that blind man, they notice him, and they, they start asking questions, and then maybe one of them, a representative, comes up to Jesus and asks this question. Uh, Jesus, hey, this blind man, is it because of his sin or his parents that he was born blind? And there's so much assumption behind that question, right? So they're still learning. They, they're not arrived yet. They're learning from Jesus as they're walking with Jesus, as they're, they're being discipled. So this assumption comes from just their history and their understanding of, of Judaism. There, there was an understanding that if somebody is suffering, if they're suffering, it must be, it must be linked to sin somehow, somewhere, right? So it's, it's got to be either his parents' sin, sin somewhere in the family, or, or his sin. But Jesus always, always flips things on its head. So their assumption is that his suffering must be traced to sin, right? They have a limited understanding still. And Jesus we're going to look to Jesus real quick in a little bit, but Jesus then flips it on its head. And, and, and let's look at Jesus. We're going to get there to what Jesus responded to them. But just remember, disciples, they, they haven't arrived. They're walking with Jesus, and they're learning as, as they go, and they're asking th these questions. 
Now let's look. All right, let's just look again. We're not out of heart yet. We're looking at just head. Let's look at this character. Let's, let's see what Jesus, what does this text tell us about Jesus? So a question we ask ourselves all the time as we're doing this, as, as we're looking, what do we learn about Jesus or what do we learn about God? In any passage in the Bible, it's always pointing to Jesus somehow. So what do we learn about Jesus here? Well, one of the first things, verse one, right there, as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. That, it just jumps out at me. Just Jesus is, is observant. He's always, he's always purposeful. He's coming through. I mean, he just had a real interesting conversation with some Jewish people. And he's leaving that conversation. And maybe, you know, some of us, we're leaving a hard conversation. We're kind of deep in thought. Or we're, we're, we have a bunch of people around us where Jesus is always watching. He's always looking around and seeing. He says, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. He, he also said that he came um, to, to heal the sick, right? So he's looking around and he sees this blind man. As his disciples are having this, this they, they see the blind man as well. But Jesus is observant and he notices Another thing we, we see about Jesus here is, is look at verses 3 through 5. He's always teaching. He's always investing. He's always looking for opportunities. So, yeah, he's looking for opportunities to, to, to love people and to share with people. But as his disciples come and ask him this question, he's looking for an opportunity. How do I speak into them? How do I show them? They're asking this great question. He doesn't reprimand them. He doesn't tell them, you, you idiots. Have you not learned anything? No, he just, he comes alongside him in such a loving way. And he says, actually, it's actually neither of those things. And what's Jesus' response? As, as he's teaching, what does, he want, um, what does he want them to learn? Here's Jesus' answer. In all of his wisdom, he says, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. There's a purpose. He's showing them that God's sovereignty, though it's mysterious sometimes, that it's always wise and it's always loving. There's a reason. It doesn't always have to be linked back to, oh, this, this suffering is always linked to sin. It can be. Our church just walked through a, a whole series in Job, and God is showing Job just how much he loves him and how much he cares for him and how great and powerful and awesome and loving he is. Suffering does not, your suffering, my suffering does not always have to be linked to sin. Sometimes God in his mysterious, loving sovereignty that we can never fully wrap our minds around because we can't, we can't put him in a box. He's, he's wanting to teach us something. But ultimately, this is what Jesus is saying, that the works of God must be displayed in him. So he's teaching his disciples a lesson about this blind man, but also the bigger picture about who God is. So verse 3 just points to that bigger picture. He, he's expanding their learning. So Jesus is a wise teacher. He's observant. He's investing. He's teaching. He's loving. All of these things. Jesus is perfectly all of these things. And here's what's really cool. Verse 4. I love this word. I love this word. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. He's including them. He's saying, guys, this is not just my ministry. We, you're with me. You get to be with me in this. We 
must work. He's, he's, he's saying this is important. We must work the works of Him who sent me while it is day. So we must be the ones who are realizing God's works being displayed. So he's being inclusive. And then he talks about, John does this a lot. Through the Gospel of John, he gives Jesus all kinds of different names. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the door. All of these different names, John is going and he's saying, this is who Jesus is. Like, look at what Jesus is. Look at who Jesus is. So he's saying, Jesus is the light, or Jesus says, I am the light of the world. So he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. So he's letting his followers know. He's letting his friends know, I'm not always going to be here with you physically. So the night is coming. The time of my crucifixion, the time of my death is, is coming. So we must be about this work. And then he says, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So here's the question that I was, I was kind of wrestling with as I was reading this. Wait, Jesus is saying, yeah, you're with me. We're doing this together, but night is coming. So does that mean, like, Jesus saying he's the light, does that light get snuffed out? Is Jesus snuffed out, like, after he dies? No, right? No, that's not the answer. So what is he saying? What's happening here? Here's what, here's what we need to understand in this passage. His disciples were with the light, because he's saying, I am the light of the world. Look back at John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He's already saying, John's introducing Jesus as the light of the world, and darkness can never extinguish it. So the crucifixion, Jesus' death, it doesn't extinguish the light. It actually spreads the light. So Jesus is saying, you, you're with me physically, disciples, my followers. We need to be about this. We need to be about God and his works being displayed while I'm on this earth with you. But that's not the end of the story. His disciples were with the light. But then what does Jesus say as he's leaving at the end of Matthew, at the Gospel of Matthew? He says, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we have the presence of God through the Holy Spirit with us. We, so the disciples are with the light, we are the light. So we carry the light. He is with us always. So we get to, Jesus is saying, this is an important thing, but it doesn't stop at my crucifixion. What we need to realize is this continues to go in us. If, if we are trusting in Jesus, if we have committed our lives to Jesus, we're, we're trusting in him and what he's done for us and who we are in him and we've surrendered our lives to him, we are this light that he's talking about. He has transferred the light from his physical being. Now he's saying, I live in you as the Holy Spirit, and you get to carry this light everywhere that you go. So the same urgency that he's giving his disciples, we still need to have. We still have the ability to see that the works of God might be displayed in those that we interact with. And then... Jesus stoops down into the dirt. And I can just picture this. The, the blind man actually hasn't said anything at this point. Jesus stoops down. He's teaching his disciples, and he spits into the ground. And I'm just picturing this, this blind man. He doesn't see it, but he probably hears it. And he's probably, what's, what's going on? 
and he makes mud with his saliva and he takes it and he puts it into the eyes, spreads it into the eyes of this blind man. And I've often wondered why. That sounds really gross. It sounds disgusting, right? Why would he do that? And I don't know. I don't know, but maybe just this is a picture of the creator of the universe using his creation and recreating, re-giving light and sight to what was blind. Jesus is doing something physical here that has such a greater meaning. And we're going to see that later. But Jesus physically heals this man's blindness with mud, with the creation that he ultimately, all things were created by him and for him and in all things were created. So Jesus, the creator of all things, physically uses his creation to recreate. That's power. That's power. And I want to encourage myself and I want to encourage all of us, let's not be tempted to see Jesus' past power, but miss his present power. So I'm going to step a little bit outside of this story, but it applies a little bit outside of this text and share some of the things that we've been able to see and experience, how we've seen and experienced and others in our lives have experienced the power of Jesus. Church, the power of Jesus is not just hidden in a book. It's real. It's alive and active today in us and in the world. And we get to be a part of it. We get to see it and experience it. That same man, Prozenjit, who's become a brother to, to our family. He, he, we call each other Amar Bai. That's Bengali for my brother. Every time he sees me, Amar Bai. And I say the same thing and we embrace each other. That, that man that we met about a year ago, in the past few months, we've just experienced seeing Jesus' amazing, supernatural, miraculous power in his life. So uh, this was back in uh, December, and he actually his, uh, called an ambulance to his home because his back was in so much pain that he said, Jesse, I was weeping like a baby, and I couldn't move. So they called an ambulance, and, and Monica t- tells me, hey, there's an ambulance outside. I was over in another neighborhood um, with, with, with some other people, and she said, there's an ambulance outside their house. I think it's for Prozenjeet. So I get home, and the next I'm calling him. He can't even, he's, he's not answering his phone. The next day, I see him. He's walking out on the sidewalk, and this guy, if you ever meet him, and I hope maybe someday, church, you, you will, but this guy is, is the epitome of energy. I mean, every time, he'll see me from like two blocks away, Amar by! And he'll run and embrace. And this day I saw him, and he's walking on the block, and he's walking from his sister's house that's a few doors down from us, and he's walking like this. And I was like, Brother Jeet. And he goes, Hi, Jesse. And I come over to him, I'm like, oh, and he was telling me all about his back and just this horrible pain, and it's terrible. And I said, just a, it was a knee-jerk reaction. Oh man, can I pray for you? Let's It's what we're supposed to do, right? But I'm telling you, church, my faith was this big. It was, I was walking through the motions. I was not believing that Jesus was actually going to heal his back. I'm just, this is what I should do. So I put my hand on his his back and I pray for him. 
And he starts to straighten up. He goes, oh, thank you so much. Like, and you never know. Like, I am the most speculative. Like, you know, like, wait, does this really? And he's like, man, it's starting to feel better. It's like, thank you so much, Jesse. And he, he said, please pray for me. The next day, he calls me, Jesse, my back is healed. He goes, Jesus healed my back. And I'm, yes, Jesus, there's real power in this. And I'm still... My idiot mind is still thinking, well, maybe it got better overnight. Like, that's, that's awesome. But, like, there's still, oh, ye of little faith. Like, and I'm like, Jesus, help my faith. But I'm just like, yes, that's awesome. He is attributing this to Jesus' power more than I am. About a week later, his wife is sitting with Monica. And she's saying, Monica, I'm just being on, honest with you. I'm, I have a pain in my breast that the, the doctors are saying they can't do anything about. There's just question marks. There's no answers. And it's really painful. And I don't know what to do. And Monica said, can I pray for you? She said, yes, please. So she prayed for her. She leaves. And she tells Monica, the pain is gone. 100%. And she says, Monica, your God healed me. He took away the pain just like you asked him to. Monica's face was better, better than mine, but she would still say that hers was little. And Jesus still shows up even though our faith is small. He shows up in power. I don't know what this blind man's faith was like, but it doesn't matter when Jesus wants to do something, he does something and his power is not weaker just because of our weak faith. I'm going to keep telling stories because this is amazing what Jesus did in, the, in their lives. A few days later, they were over at our house. This was in January now. Over, we were having a birthday party for Carson, and they're over and just celebrating with us. And the next morning, so Kanika's English is not the best. His English is great. She's at home with the kids, not as much out. Her English isn't the best. So Monica's been sitting down and teaching her English and just sharing Bible stories with her. So that night, she was kind of sitting. She was smiling and happy, but, you know, probably feeling a little bit awkward when everybody else, most other people other than her family, are speaking English at this birthday party. And um, the next morning, Monica, we're sitting at the breakfast table, and Monica just goes, Jesse, how do you think um, Kanika felt last night? You know, do you, do you think she enjoyed it? Do you think it was awkward? And I said, I think she had fun, but let me, I'm just going to text Prozenjeet. And ask. So I text, I text him and said, hey, how, how did Kanika feel last night? How was she feeling? Or something along those lines. And Prozenjeet calls me. Like, as soon as I hit send, my phone's ringing. So I pick up my phone, and he goes, Jesse, how did you know to ask about Kanika? Did God tell you? <laughs> and everything in me wanted to just totally straight up lie to him. He'd be like, of course. Of course God told me to, to, to text you about her. And I said, no, I'm just wondering, like, how she was feeling after, after last night. And he goes, she has a horrible splitting migraine that she can't even like talk. She's laying on the couch and she is just out and she is just in so much pain. And so, so I said, oh, let me, let me pray for her over the phone. So I prayed for her over the phone. Monica reached out to her a few minutes later and just texted her and just let her know that she, she prayed for her. And about, what, 10 minutes later or so, she, she texts Monica back and says, the pain is gone, 100%. It's gone. And she said this. She said, Monica, your God is so kind. 
She's experiencing the power of God and attributing it to him and saying, your God is kind. And then about a week and a half later, Prozenjit comes over to her house. He, he brings us, they're, they're a Bengali Hindu family and Kanika's food is incredible. She's always making food and he's always bringing it over. And I have the spiritual gift of receiving good food from people. So he's bringing this over and we enjoy it and it's awesome. And right before he leaves, he, he goes, oh, um, can you, he's starting to ask us to pray, pray for things instead of us asking him, can we pray? He says, um, Krish, they have two little boys. Krish, our, our oldest, um, he's, he's, I think, eight years old now. He's, he's sick. And he, this is how he did it. He said when he's laying on the, on the bed, they all, they all used to sleep in the same room, seven of them. Um, him, his wife, his, their two kids, Kanika's parents, and his mom, all, all in the same apartment. And he said Krish would lay on the bed and go, <gasps> and he said Kanika is just, like, she's scared. She's scared that he's going to stop breathing. So can you please pray for him? So we prayed for him, and Monica starts praying, and she just prays, God, will you show them yourself? Just show, let them see Jesus and how amazing Jesus is. So will, will you reveal yourself in just a supernatural way, in just an amazing way where they see Jesus and just open their eyes to, to his power and who he is? And person, Jesus, thank you, thank you. And then he leaves. A few days later, I have a Bible study with him. He comes over to our home and we're going to, he goes, oh, wait, Jesse, before we get in the story, I almost forgot to tell you. The other night when you prayed, last, that night, Kanika couldn't sleep. And she cries out to our God, Krishna. She cries out to Krishna, please help. Please help. He, he can't breathe. And church, this is happening. This is true. This is happening. She sees Light come into the room, a figure of light that looks, she's telling us this story later, a figure of light, it looks like a man and it's standing right by their bed. And she said immediately, I knew, she cried out to Krishna and she said, I knew this was Jesus. And the light, figure of light reaches over on Krishna's head and he starts breathing clearly and then it just leaves. And she said, I felt such a peace. And she went back to bed. The next morning, her son, Krish, comes into the kitchen. She says, how, how are you feeling? He goes, I feel fine. I feel great. Back to normal. And she says, Jesus came and healed our son. This is in a span of like three months that we're just seeing the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus. So our faith did go from here to here. I mean, it just, it just zoomed. And Jesus... He is powerful. He's working his miracles. But why? Why? He tells us why. He says that the works of God might be displayed through this blind man. That the works of God might be displayed through the Sinha family, through Prozenjit and his family. They experienced the power of Jesus. So that's something we observe about Jesus. He is powerful but powerful for a purpose. Now let's look at another character, this blind man. So the blind man, something we notice about him, as we're just, again, we're engaging with our heads, 
He actually never asked to be healed by Jesus. Jesus just did it. Jesus sees him. His disciples ask about him, and Jesus just walks over and heals him. We actually don't hear the blind man speak to Jesus and ask, please heal me. Jesus just heals him. And actually, another observation is the blind man actually never saw Jesus before. Jesus put the mud in his eyes, and he told him to go wash. I hope there were people, like, guiding him uh, to to this pool, but Jesus tells him to to go wash in this pool. So he actually didn't see Jesus. He simply experienced Jesus, and he obeyed. He simply experienced Jesus, and he obeyed. You know what kind of faith this blind man had? He had blind faith. That's a dad joke for Father's Day. (laughs) And all of my kids are scrunching down in their seats like, oh my goodness, I told him not to say that. But we see, again, why did Jesus do it? We see here, we see also, John just makes it extremely clear, hey, here's why I wrote this book. John chapter 20, and I'm sure we're all familiar with this. John chapter 20, verse 31. Why does Jesus do these things? Why did John even record all of these things that Jesus did? Here's the answer. But these things are written. There you go. It's so clear. These things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So it's not just to display his power. There's a broader purpose. It's not just to heal the physical blindness. It's not to just heal the back or the pain. It's to heal spiritually. There's a deeper purpose. At this point, the blind man, he knows what he experienced. He knows he experienced a miracle because he says later, when people are asking him, hey, what happened? He says, all I know is I was blind and now I see. So he knows he experienced a miracle. He knows the power of but he doesn't yet know the person of Jesus. And I am going to give a little bit of a, I'm not going to call it a spoiler alert, but I'm going I'm to call it, um, you know, we're going to look ahead just a, just a little tiny bit. I'm not trying to steal Kenny's thunder here, but we're going to look and see, uh, because we can't end with just him knowing just this physical power. Look in verse 35 through, th- through 37, and Kenny will be hitting this next week, but Jesus goes and finds him. Jesus heard that they cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Like this, look, the response of this blind man, I love it. Then Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The response of this blind man, now that he knows the person of Jesus, his response is, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. We can learn so much from this blind man. So Jesus, his power is not just to, it's not just for physical healing, it's for spiritual healing. So go back just last uh, Monday, Tuesday, last Tuesday, just this past week, Person Jeet's sitting on our front porch. And he's recounting. He's saying, guys, you could see him. He's thinking back. He goes, God, it's like God is telling me, Prozenjit, I'm coming after you. And you can't get away. He said, but I love it. Because it's like God saying, you can't get away because I like you. And then it's like a realization hit him. He goes, and I love you. 
And he goes, God's coming after me, and I don't want to get away. And he's he's recounting the miracle of of the birth of their son, the miracle of of this other, like all of these things. And he's saying, I watched my dad would read the Bible. He's in Bangladesh as a devout Hindu. He'd read the Bible, and he'd pull Prozenjit up on his lap as he was six years old, and he said, love this book. And Prozenjit said, I can't explain it. I don't know why my dad told me that, but all I know is my dad told me to love the Bible. And ever since then, I've always felt like I should love the Bible. And then God brings you guys into my life showing me the Bible, and I love it, and I can't get enough. Spiritual healing is taking place in this family. And he says, he told me the other day, he said, this is not just for me. He said, I've experienced the power of Jesus, but this is not just for me. It's for my house. It's for my household. It's for my family. They need to know this too. God is pursuing that man and his family. God is pursuing people in your life. And lastly, just a real look, we see the other character that we see in the scriptures, the neighbors. The neighbors, they're just asking, hey, who is, is this the blind man? Is this? So there's two things that I notice with this. That they're confused. Is this the same guy? Is it? I don't know. And they're, they're, they're conflicted a little bit, but they're curious. And they're asking about Jesus. So kind of this section kind of ends weird. Where is Jesus? I don't know. Well, Jesus finds him later, which is awesome. But they're confused, but they're curious. Where is this Jesus? He sounds pretty awesome. So now let's engage with our heart. This is the most important part. So it's going to feel short. We've, we've really just dove into the story. It's going to feel short, but this is the most important part, so don't miss this. What is the Holy Spirit saying to you? As we read the story, as, as we walk through the story, as we see Jesus and all of these other different people and what he's doing and why he's doing it and his power, this bigger picture of, of um, not just physical healing but spiritual healing, not just physical blindness but spiritual blindness that he wants to heal. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us through his word? Again, living and active. So how should we respond? The Holy Spirit wants to speak to us. So, this is, this is, this is something I, I like to do for myself. I ask the word so, S-O. So this is both heart and hands. What is the Holy Spirit saying? And then hands, what do I do about it? So the so is this, saying, what is he saying? Is the S and the O is obey. How do I obey? So I read this and say, all right, so what is God saying to me and how do I obey it? So let's get practical, church. 30 seconds, just sit there quietly and ask those questions. Maybe yours is different than mine. Maybe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you differently than he's speaking to my heart, and that's great. We need to just say, God, what are you saying, and how can I obey what you're telling me? How can I live it out? So take 30 seconds and just ask that to yourself.
as you're asking that, get practical, get specific. Not just, not broad, oh, God wants me to increase my faith. Yeah, that's great. What does that look like today? What does that look like this week? How can you obey him? So here's something I feel like God's telling me. God's telling me, Jesse, I am always at work. So, so what does that look like? I need to be actively looking. Where are you at work, God? Where are you working in my heart? Where are you working others? And then how can I come alongside? How can I just obediently come alongside what you're already doing? And look for those opportunities this week. Look for those ways and engage in what God's doing. So I just have one challenge. The application is, is yours. How are you applying this? How is God applying this to your heart? How are you going to live it out? That's the application. But here's the challenge. We are not meant to do this alone, church. We are not meant to do this alone. We are meant to do this together in community. So find at least one other person, whether that's a fight club of a couple people that you're with, whether it's a missional community, whether it's a relationship in the church, your family, somebody that you trust and that they love you, find one person to share, share with. This is what God spoke to me through this passage. We read this passage about Jesus healing a blind man. Here's what God spoke to me. And here's how I seek to obey it. Will you keep me accountable? Will you help me? Let's do this together. Can you help me? So find one person this week, at least one person, and share that with. Let me pray. Jesus, you are amazing. God, please help us. Help us to continually, day in and day out, continually to be in awe of you. God, I pray that for us right now, this week, and in our lives. And help us to, through your Holy Spirit, to respond appropriately in obedience and in worship. In Jesus' name, amen.